Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-Results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Christina, and today's episode is going to be a little different. Today will be an interview with Chris Tronson, and he is a specialist in the OCD community, and he also has OCD, and he was really generous and allowed me to interview him and pick his brain a little bit. We also talked a little bit about um, benefits of joining an internet-based program like the Mastering OCD membership program that I have coming up on August 17th, and uh, you get to hear a little bit about that. If you'd like to join, you will see a link in the show notes, and you're welcome to click on that link, and it'll take you right on over so that you can join and start with um, other folks on August 17th. If you have any questions, you can always find me on my Instagram account and that is also in the show notes and send me a direct message or you can email me info at coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-R-E-S-U-L-T-S.com. Okay. Hi, Chris. Hey, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you. You too. So um, I want to welcome you to the OCD Whisperer podcast. Um, and there are about three questions that I wanted to go over with you as somebody who's a specialist in the field, because I think these questions come up quite often for folks, um, and I wanted to cover them with you. Um, so if you don't mind, maybe just telling us a little bit about um, how long you've been specializing in treating OCD and a little bit about your background, and then we can dive right on and into the questions. Yeah. So I started even knowing what OCD is, is I have OCD, you know, I was diagnosed with OCD when I was younger and was able to receive treatment in my early twenties. And I started my route out a little different than most therapists. I actually started out as an advocate. And so, um, the international OCD foundation, which is kind of like our big organization that supports the OCD community, um, I came to them and just really wanted to share my story and give back. So through the International OCD Foundation, I was traveling the country, speaking to different doctors and hospitals and doing some training on how to identify OCD and what the basics are for treatment. As I was doing advocacy, I recognized that I only could do so much and I wanted to do more. I wanted to help people more often. So in 2009, um, there was a job opening for a somebody who has OCD to kind of be a peer voice in a support group opening up at the Gateway Institute in Orange County, Costa Mesa, California. And somebody told me about the job and said, Hey, I think you'd be great. So I started in 2009, uh, co-facilitating a support group, um, kind of coming from the peer angle. And often people would say, Oh, I wish you were my therapist and I wish you could help. And so I decided to go back to school and then become a therapist. So I worked at the Gateway Institute for a little over 10 years. I've been doing advocacy and training and teaching for about 15. Um, and it's been all I pretty much focus on when it comes wow, to Wow, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, you are like literally the exact master pro that is going to be able to answer the questions that I, I definitely get a lot. <laughs> well, I will do my absolute best. I will do my best, of course. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's dive in. So one of the common questions I get um, is, you know, what causes our OCD or what is OCD? I think often in the OCD community, folks 
can have questions about, well, is it really OCD? Do I really have OCD? Even when they do have confirmation that it is OCD. So um, I think it'd be great to spend a few minutes and just talk a little bit to us about, you know, what is it? What causes it? Yeah, what I first want to address is one thing that I've noticed is individuals that have OCD do often question if something is OCD or not because the themes that OCD is usually centering around are things that we really do see in our communities and society. So I don't know of many other disorders that people didn't, you know, try to push back against the diagnosis. If somebody gets diagnosed with bipolar disorder or somebody gets diagnosed with schizophrenia or depression, often somebody's going to accept that diagnosis. But for some reason, individuals with OCD often want to push back against the diagnosis. And it's because with OCD, it's more just than intrusive thoughts. It's intrusive thoughts, feelings, sensations, etc. So what happens in OCD is the fear center of our brain is triggered. So we have something called the limbic system in our brain. It's, it's sort of like the emotional center. And in that, we have the amygdala, and it's the fear center of the brain. And when that is triggered, it triggers the fight or flight system in our body. So we see different physiological changes. We have rapid heartbeat. Um, our, you know, focus is very hyper-focused. We are ready to kind of like fight something or run from something. So with OCD, when that's triggered, it completely takes over and it feels so real. And that's why people will question it. So what OCD is, is individuals with OCD are going to have the O in OCD is obsessional thoughts. Now, it's not always thought. The, the intrusive and unwanted thoughts can also be feelings or sensations or images that pop up in the person's head. And because they are usually taboo and unwanted in nature, it creates a, a sensation of anxiety, distress, guilt, shame, etc. Very, you know, quote unquote, negative emotions. And because the person is experiencing that, they're doing everything that they can to protect themselves and keep themselves safe. So, that's when we see the compulsions come in and compulsions can be avoidance. Uh, they can be physical compulsions, mental compulsions. And these acts are trying to mitigate, minimize, or eliminate the feelings of distress that they're experiencing from those obsessional thoughts and urges and, and feelings that they're having. So we see what ends up happening is kind of a, a cycle is an individual will have a trigger, you know, a situation that elicits distress the emotional regulation is usually off, so they're feeling this heightened sense of angst, anxiety, distress, etc. And because of that, they jump into those compulsive mental or physical behaviors to try to get that relief. But unfortunately, in turn, it just reinforces the original problem, the fear, and, and validates it. So that person gets stuck in a cycle and is really, really struggling. A lot of times people will ask me, like, how does somebody get OCD? And we know that it's very genetic in, in, in nature. So the DSM states that if you have a, a, a close relative that developed OCD as an adult, you have two times more, you are two times more likely to have OCD than someone who doesn't have that. If you have a, a relative that's you know, like a first generation relative that developed OCD as a child, you're 10 times more likely to develop OCD than the average person. So we know it's very genetic and base. And we see that usually the ages that people start showing signs is around either 11 to 13 or 18 to 21. So, um, you know, that's why it's so, so difficult is because, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's not only do people have the obsessional thoughts, but they also have the feelings that something's wrong and are doing everything they can to try to keep themselves safe.
Yeah, and I mean, you you hit the point exactly. I was going to ask you the, the nail on the head, I mean, which is, you know, is there some sort of a genetic or biological component or something like that? Because, you know, people definitely ask that question a lot and, and you just spoke to that um, exactly. So, um, and is it possible that somebody might not have a relative who shows any or, or has OCD or shows any sign of OCD and that they could still have OCD? Is that like, something that I like, could skip a generation kind of thing? Or maybe somebody just has anxiety, not necessarily OCD, but clearly there's anxiety involved. And then, and then this person ends up having OCD as their type of anxiety disorder. Yeah. So the answer to both of those questions are yes. I mean, some individuals will have OCD and nobody in their family has it just because you don't have somebody in your immediate family that has it doesn't mean that you you know you can't get it it's just much more likely if you do so often my clients will say oh yeah my mom has OCD or my dad or my uncle Um, and then yeah sometimes it may not show up as OCD in your family so they might have family members that have generalized anxiety or depression or hoarding disorder um, and you know it's not surprising that there's some disorder um, you know, somebody gets a disorder, it doesn't always have to be OCD. It's just much more likely that you'll get it. So for instance, if your dad has OCD and he developed it as a child, it's pretty likely that you may get OCD yourself or maybe born with OCD. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, I think, you know, this actually flows right into the second question that I get quite often, which is, um, you know, people kind of think, have this notion that, you know, well, I'm already so scared and, and you know, I'm, I'm already so terrified or I'm already so panicked. I'm already so anxious, you know? Um, so the thought of exposing myself to fears is terrifying, right? So why, why would I do that? How, how could, how could you do, how could this process even be effective? So this is a question that really I think is geared towards kind of demystifying the exposure response prevention treatment, which is the treatment of choice. Um, so if you can speak a little bit to that. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned. I mean, exposure and response prevention therapy is the gold standard treatment for OCD. And research has been done and shown that it is highly effective. And in fact, um, it not only is it highly effective, but we see that it's not just a band-aid over time when they've gone back and done longitudinal studies and, you know, check in with different patients from a, a study a year later, they're still showing progress from the treatment they did a year prior in the study. So we know it's not only effective for in the moment, but it's also effective long-term. It's very difficult when we sit down and we talk to a client about exposure and response prevention, their eyes usually get wide and they squirm a little bit because they've been doing everything they can at home to come up with ways of not feeling anxious. So usually it means that their lives are shrinking down a lot of avoidance. They've given up a lot of friends and activities and, you know, don't go to to Christmas and, and don't leave the house. And so the only way that they feel like they can keep themselves calm and relaxed are doing all of these compulsions and avoidance and seeking reassurance from loved ones. So when they come to treatment and find out, hey, everything you've been doing, we're going to do the complete opposite, they freak out. But what I like is for most people, by the time they come to treatment, sadly, the research shows that it's still about 14 to 17 years till an individual first shows signs of OCD that they seek treatment. So the only good thing that comes out of that is most of the time, by the time somebody comes into the session, they are so desperate for help. And they recognize that what they've been doing for so long has not worked. So when I sit down and explain like, hey, like most things in life, the only way you're going to get 
over it is to go through it, to really face your fear. So people usually understand that component. I think what they have heard about ERP is that it's like a boot camp. You're going to get thrown into these really dangerous situations and have to survive. So the way I demystify it with my clients is just say, look, this is going to be a collaborative process. We're going to look at your fear structure analysis to identify all the external and internal cues that trigger you, as well as the compulsions you do. And then what we're going to really work on is ranking those fears from a one to 10 scale, which will then develop into a hierarchy. And we're going to start with some of the smallest things on the bottom. That way you can start to build success and prove to yourself that you are able to face your fears and that the anxiety goes down and you learn from it and you recognize that you are stronger and can handle more fear than you thought. So usually when clients know that, hey, this is a collaborative process, we're going to start small, we're going to slowly work myself up, and over time I'm going to learn that my anxiety will go down and I'm going to understand that fear is only temporary people are usually on board. And I talk about, you know, successes that I've had with other clients or people have heard podcasts and stories of people getting better. So that usually helps with the buy-in as well. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love everything you're saying. I, I think, yeah, same thing for me is all of everything you said. And I think sometimes it depends on the person, but also offering to say, you know, where do you want to start just in general? Because sometimes people might feel like they want to start with something a little more, moderate. Um, but I always do tell people, please do not jump to your scariest thing just because you're so tired and you want to work it out because you don't want to, like you were just saying, right. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you're not quite prepared. You don't quite know yet what you're doing. You haven't quite built out that, that muscle in your brain. And then you end up inadvertently creating a new fear around ERP. <laughs> so there really is a methodology and a process and, and, and a way that, you know, it's done. Um, it's, and so, like you said, it's not just jumping into the scariest thing immediately. It is about progressively get, getting to build that muscle out. Absolutely. And success breeds success. So we know that if somebody starts lower in the hierarchy and they start to achieve success, they're going to be more likely to trust the treatment and start to push higher. You know, kind of based on what you're saying, if I have a client coming in and we do the hierarchy and something that's really causing distress in their life is a six or a seven, which is kind of, you know, pretty high in the hierarchy. What I'll ask them to do is let's break that six or seven down even further. So we know you want to work on that. You have high motivation, which I need from you to, to really do the exposure therapy, to beat through this thing so you can get that, that back. But I'm, an, I'm nervous. As a clinician, I'm nervous that we're jumping into a six or a seven day one. So why don't we do this? Why don't we break that six or seven down to smaller pieces? So for yeah. instance, if someone isn't able to open door handles in their house and that's a six or a seven, I'll say, why don't we start maybe opening them with your elbow? That's not how we're going to finish treatment. This is just a minor step so that if you can open up your door handles with your elbow and that's a three and you can conquer that, then it's an easier jump to then start opening them with your hand versus us going straight out the gate, using your hand, you becoming overwhelmed, dropping down from treatment and losing motivation. So often when I explain it that way, people feel good that they're facing a fear that's affecting them and knowing that they're doing it in a way that's going to set them up for success versus a burnout. Perfect. Awesome. Um, so the last question I have for you. So, um, one of the other things I hear often is that courses are really expensive or, um, treatments really specialized and just, I can't find somebody in my area. 
Um, and I think I've mentioned to you, you know, I've created a mastering OCD membership that starts August 17th. Um, and so it, it is going to be an online training with live Q and A's and a private members only Facebook community. And I just wanted to kind of hear your opinion on, um, what you think about a membership based training like that for helping people get access to this kind of treatment. Yeah. So to, I want to back up slightly and just say that, you know, even though I'm young, I'm very old school when it comes to therapy. I like sitting in a room with a client. I like being face to face and we can get hands on and do exposures together with COVID. Obviously that's changed. We've had to go a telehealth route and using HIPAA compliant telehealth video conferencing services in order to work with our clients. One thing that I've loved about it that I don't know why I never utilized in the past is that there are some clients that their home is the center of where all of their obsessions are. And I've had them bring items into the office, but there's certain things they can't bring into the office. And I've been able to technically go in their home using telehealth and really facing some of the things we'd never face if we traditionally met at the office. I've also noticed that my clients are continuing to get better and really liking a virtual internet-based ERP system. I'm also someone that really likes the science. I like research to back up what I'm noticing in session. And so the good thing is there was a 2014 study by Erbs and his colleagues and found that um, internet-based therapy was just as effective as in-person outpatient treatment. And then that was backed up by a study uh, by Patel and his colleagues in 2018 and also found that telehealth and internet-based ERP is just as effective in person. But what you've noticed, probably what I've noticed too, is there's still some hangups. People can't afford it or their uh, insurance isn't covering it or maybe they can't do telehealth in their state because there isn't a provider that is licensed in their state. Or even worse, internationally, there's people that are in countries or even continents that don't have um, any, any, you know, anything available. And so what I like about a internet-based system is there's people out there, probably not if they're severe to the point they can't leave their house, but there's people out there that need this. They need to have access to education and to resources. And what I think is really, really good is you can use a kind of hybrid model. You can have the internet-based, you know, videos and, and workbooks or kind of like virtual workbooks, but by providing like a one-on-one -on -one consultation or phone call or, you know, virtual chat and stuff like that, what's also good is you're, you're keeping that human component of it. So I think it's absolutely necessary. I'm really, really proud of what you're doing. I think what you're putting out there is needed because like I said, it, it has the human component to it. And somebody like me who went through OCD treatment would need that. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely ecstatic. I mean, the one good thing that's come out of COVID is people are turning to more internet-based research or uh, resources. And it seems like there's going to be more and more. And, and for me, my dream is that anybody that wants access to treatment in the world can get it. And you're helping with that. And, you know, the research is going to back you up because internet-based therapy is absolutely effective. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And that's literally been my goal as well, because like yourself, I have OCD. I specialize in OCD treatment and um, it really is yeah, it was, it was really kind of painful to watch that there's so many people globally who just can't even access this or afford it or have just have nobody near them or around them and are, and are struggling. Um, and so really wanting to help close that gap. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time, your knowledge yeah. and spending some time with me here. 
Absolutely. Well, I am so honored to obviously have talked to you today and I'm glad what you're doing. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, when, when you've gone through OCD yourself, or if you have OCD, you just recognize how difficult it is to navigate, uh, help and, and treatment. And so to have other options starting to come out there, including, um, your program, I, I just know that that's going to improve access to so many people. And that means more people are getting better from it. I mean, 14 to 17 years, of yeah, showing symptoms so till someone get help. That's too long. That's why. Can you imagine if somebody with, with a tumor or cancer or something had to wait, you know, waited 14 to 17 years. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that there's people out there with so much distress, but that's why things like this will, you know, programs like this will definitely help. So I'm glad that you're one of the people leading the charge. Ah, thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me today on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. You as well. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's coreresults, K-O-R-R-E-S-U-L-T-S dot com backslash contact.